Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. This week, we're talking about one of my favorite businesses, and that's the WWE. It's got everything you want in a business story. You've got nostalgia, you've got drama, you've got a larger-than-life founder, and you've got a company that's crossing over into a, a whole new era uh, for its business. But is this a story that's worth investing in? Molly Fool analysts Bill Mann and Jim Gillies are joining me this week to take a look at WWE as a business and as an investment. Thanks, guys, for joining me. Thank you, Nick. Uh, great to have you on here. As I said in the kind of intro, WWE is one of my favorite businesses to pay attention to and track. I, you know, I, WrestleMania is on my bucket list of kind of events to go to. So when you got to get to over, overlap, you know, WrestleMania with, with, with investing, um, always a fun topic. When you think about WWE as a business, just first question for you all, like, is there a direct comp for this business? Like, can you think of one that like would be a comparison? I, you know, I think you've got to think of it. I think you've got to think of it as 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 being a rival with the major sports brands. I yes. think if you and and if you look at the numbers for WWE, they actually are somewhat close in viewership to the NBA in terms of of of, of television. In other ways, you almost have to have to think of it as being a library of characters. It's like it, you know, it, it, it's like Bizarro World Disney in some ways. Yes. Also, yes. <laughs> right. I mean, you've got the biggest the biggest uh, movie star today is a former WWE superstar, The Rock, right? Dwayne Johnson. Um, and, and, but but at the same time, it's kind of the, this niche uh, area of the world. Uh, one thing before we kind of get into WWE's business kind of in depth, I think it's worth talking about how we got here, how WWE became the business that it was today. Because you go from, you know, kind of wrestling at the high school gym to what is now this huge global business. Uh, you know, Jim Gillies, can you kind of walk us through, like, how did WWE get from, you know, the high school gyms to the business that it is today? By the way, I love how excited Nick is about this. <laughs> like, you are literally, you are fired up. <laughs> Not just Nick. Not just Nick. I, I feel I was born for this. Um, yeah, so so essentially, uh WWF or WWWF, I suppose, was one of the old territories. It was kind of the uh, American Northeastern Territory. So New York, New Jersey, uh, Connecticut, oddly enough, uh, where they're based out of today. Uh, but it, the territory system was all the local areas would have uh, territory, usually with their own homegrown stars, usually the son of the promoter. Uh, and, and, and there was this, there was a bestriding, uh, organization called the National Wrestling Alliance or the NWA. And, you know, the NWA would have like a champion, your Harley race, your Terry Funk, your Ric Flair, and the champion Ooh. would, would <laughs> let's get that out of the way, would, would tour around. And so, you know, he'd come work a program in New York and then he'd go and work a program uh, in Florida and then over California, maybe up into Calgary where the famous Hart found a Hart family. Uh, had stampede wrestling, but the territories were largely gate-driven butts and seats. Um, you know where the promoters would, you know, bring in special attractions. Andre the Giant, of course, was a special attraction for years. Would wander around, and and that was kind of the way the world worked. And you know, you, if you saw wrestling on television, uh, you would see, you know, your local promotion, as you say, Nick, maybe from. Uh, maybe from the local high school gym, maybe maybe a, a small hockey arena or something. But you know, it was a gate-driven league, 
And then along comes Vince McMahon. Okay, the, the second, well, technically third, I suppose, but Vincent Kennedy McMahon. He buys, the, his dad, Vince McMahon Sr., owned the WWWF, which was the precursor to WWE. And he buys WWWF from his dad in, I think, around 82, 83? 82. Uh, 82, okay. And, and he'd worked for his dad for years as well. But so Vince buys out his dad and he separates for the second time, the first time didn't stick, but he separates uh, WWWF or WWF from the NWA. He says, we are gonna, they already had their own champion, but they say, okay, our champion's not, he's now gonna, he's a world champion on part of the NWA. We are going to, we are going to basically take this territory thing national. We are going to go. And, and what he does, he, he, he basically takes WWF. So uh, if, if you guys, well, okay, Bill, you and I are of a similar age. So we remember the rise of Hulkamania and, oh, yeah. and, and the <clears throat> British Bulldogs and Rowdy Roddy Piper. That was, the, and culminating in the first WrestleMania in 1985, that is McMahon going national and taking it to the territory. Some territories he just steamrolls Others, he buys out entirely, the aforementioned Stampede out of Calgary. But he basically, and, and others, um, Mid-South and, um, not Mid-South, uh, the Carolinas, basically, uh, mm-hmm. Mid-Atlantic, that was the one. Uh, he basically runs his own cable shows in their territory. So you're not getting television for the local guys anymore. You're getting the big national. You can see Hulk Hogan coming soon to an arena near you. And that kind of takes a bit of the, the shine off the local guys. But he goes out and essentially steamrolls everyone he can see in front of him and kind of goes national. And that then takes the next, call it 15 years, because he got a little bit of pushback from some guy named Ted Turner. Right. And, and Ted Turner liked the wrestling. And Ted Turner has A, money, and B, or had, still has money, but he also had the cable, he had Turner Broadcasting. And so the the territories that hadn't gotten steamrolled by McMahon or that still survived, they kind of, you know, the, the, the core of the old NWA, they kind of banded together under what was called Jim Crockett promotions, uh, mainly situated in Georgia, the Carolinas, Florida, what have you. And they became an entity called WCW or World Championship Wrestling. And so in the mid to late 90s, you had these two large organizations that had quasi-national exposure, certainly cable national exposure. And they and, and that coincided with a really hot period for wrestling. The guys like Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan went to the to WCW, became a bad guy, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Uh, and and you had the the rise of the Monday Night Wars where these guys would would duke it out on cable. And so now it's no longer a butts in seats local business. It's uh, who can get higher cable ratings and how can how much can we sell our cable shows for? So the, the business has already transitioned and it had gone from, you know, usually when you'd watch the television shows from the 80s, it's a lot of not good wrestling. It was a known star against me, say. And my job is there is to basically get steamrolled by the by the known star in one minute. And, and then collect my 50 bucks and slink out the back. Um, you actually had, you know, good programming uh, on television. And they would then, you know, so they'd have the, these, these shows on the cable things. But then as well, it was like, well, the big, the big news, the big things happened either on television now versus the squash matches of the day before. 
And it was all driven towards the next level of, of the business, which was the, the monthly pay-per-views, right? So that's kind of where we are at the end of the 2000s or at the end of the 1990s. What I, what I was going to say there, right, is so you have the, this idea of you go from these these kind of regional wrestling promotions to WWE. You know, Vince McMahon essentially rolled up the business. So, so uh, you know, Bill talked about um, WWE is kind of like a bizarro Disney. Well, maybe Vince McMahon is kind of like a bizarro John Malone, right? While John Malone is rolling up all the cable companies, uh, Vince McMahon is rolling up all the content companies on the side of WWE, you know, as this whole pay-per-view uh, business gets built up. They're on the content side doing the same the same type of thing. And after 2001, when WCW goes bankrupt and WWE buys up the rest of the rights, essentially he's monopolized the business. At least, at least in North America. Vince McMahon owns the North American history of wrestling. Now, you, you may question the value of owning the entirety of North American wrestling. And certain promotions, uh, Impact, which is a, a group called TNA, which has been around for a number of years now. And I guess the latest is AEW. They might argue this point. Uh, which I actually think that's a good thing because Vince McMahon, I think, always works best when he has competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, no, basically the Monday Night Wars came to an end when essentially uh, Turner and and TBS, Turner got a little forced out there. Uh, the, the new guys who came into Turner Broadcast Networks didn't, uh, didn't really like the wrestling, uh, didn't want to spend the money. Um, frankly, he spent a lot of money on wrestlers to not do a lot. A lot of guys had guaranteed contracts and only had to work 12 or 14 dates a year. Uh, so, you know, there was, uh, they, they, they mismanaged themselves into the ground. And you also mentioned there was another little upstart group I forgot out of uh, Philadelphia called ECW, which kind of pioneered this concept of hardcore wrestling. Uh, and those guys also rent bankrupt. So Vince bought everything. And so now in 2001, here's Vince McMahon, owns the tape library, the history of all of his competition. He's forced all of the territories into almost permanent subservience kind of thing. Where do you go from there? He was the king of a mountain that nobody else realized that they wanted. Right. But, but it's a valuable mountain. It's a super valuable value. Well, absolutely. And so, so that ties into to maybe where we're at today. So if you if you go back to maybe the late 90s, the last time you know wrestling was really kind of the peak of pop culture, WWE became the business. They they own essentially, you know, when it comes to the big leagues, they own the entire the entirety of the business. Now there are some other upstarts. AEW has showed up in the in the past couple of years, but essentially WWE controls the global wrestling business for all intents and purposes, uh, the big leagues. And that kind of brings us to where where the company is today. They have a massive audience. You look at their Instagram following, larger than the NFL. If you look at YouTube, they're the number six most followed YouTube channel on the face of the planet. Um, so just incredible audience. When you talk about the business today, what's the narrative for this company? Still very much a Vince McMahon story, correct? It, it, it is, but they had made a number of mistakes over the last, over, over the last few years, I think with the, with, with the, uh, the WWE network. And they basically started to, you know, they, they, they have SmackDown, which is, you know, which is Friday nights. And then yeah, they have WrestleMania, yeah. which is a little bit like Super Bowl. Yep. And, you know, right now, the only way that you get to, or the, what the only way that you'd be able to see WrestleMania was be to, to be subscribed to the WWE network, which in some ways, I think they were trying to lift up a platform, but in, in another way, strangling their, you know, the, the, their, their premier event. So that's about to change in a big, big, big way. And I think that that's why you look at the valuation of this company right now, you say, you know, maybe on a, you know, on a cash flow basis, it's not that cheap, but it is completely, I think, 
underestimating what this change is going to mean. Well, I was just going to say, I was going to push back a little on Bill there. All right. Because I, li- I like to. Um, but no, I was going to push back a little bit. We'll take this to the parking lot after the show. Um, <laughs> I got him while he's drinking bulls. Um, no, I mean, I, 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 I think, you know, I think we can probably agree that we like it when businesses, or I maybe I, I like it when businesses engage in a little bit of self-destruction, creative destruction. And so the model from the 90s up until the mid part of the 2010s was this, you know, you got your Raw on Monday nights, you got your SmackDown on Friday nights or Thursday nights or whatever night they're doing it. Um, You had, at the time, you had the WCW competing offerings. And then once Vince McMahon is kind of unfettered, you know, he he has no real competition. in 2014, he launches, he, he basically, but they still had the pay-per-views every month, right? So you'd have mm-hmm. 12, 14 pay-per-views a year, <clears> which <throat> you could watch uh, via your cable provider, just give them 50 bucks and, and you're good. So you could watch it that way. And Vince McMahon comes out, the WWE comes out and says, we are going to destroy our own distribution model. We're going to go from this pay-per-view thing, which of course you have to cut AT&T and the cable companies in on this. And we're going to launch this, network this this netflix this netflix of wrestling because again they own the tape libraries of all of the all of the other territories and all of the other big guys they own wcw they own ecw and they're going to launch and you can have access to all that programming and you can watch like any show from the past oh and by the way for for just ten dollars a month on the ww network this netflix video streaming on demand you're going to get all of the pay-per-views. So you're paying 10 bucks a month, 120 bucks a year. That's like, if you only bought WrestleMania and two other pay-per-views a year, you're now, you're now ahead of the game. Right. So, so maybe just a double underline, uh, kind of the, the story we're talking about here. So, so yeah, in 2014, WWE launched WWE Network, moved all their pay-per-views uh, to that over-the-top service. They had a direct relationship um, with their customer, got lots of data, all those sorts of things. However, um, there, there was clearly some, some tension uh, internally in the company around the future for, for that distribution model. Uh, there, were, there were reports that the Vince McMahon was unsatisfied uh, with, because of some of the things that, that, that Bill talked about, kind of limiting the size of the audience, limiting the amount of uh, monetization they could get out of WrestleMania and some of those things. And so back in early 2019, uh, the longtime co-presidents of the company, uh, George Berrios and Michelle Wilson, uh, were let, sorry, that's January 2020, um, they, they let them go, which, which we thought that might have presaged some, some change. Um, in their strategy with respect to the to the WWE Network, and we're now seeing that um, come to fruition starting tomorrow uh, as part of an agreement um, with Peacock. Um, WWE has a multi-year agreement where starting tomorrow, um, all the WWE Network's content is going to be available on the Peacock streaming service. So yeah, so from Bill's perspective, I believe the number um, of subscribers to the Peacock service today is 30 million. Um, you, you, if you're a Comcast, Xfinity, or um, Cox cable subscriber, you get Peacock free. So super, super large audience there. And so what it looks like here is from WWE's perspective, they get access to this bigger audience. People are going to you know drive by view WrestleMania that maybe not wouldn't have thought about subscribing to WWE Network uh, or the pay-per-view. Also worth noting that WWE says they're going to get their own proprietary data out of this. They're not losing um, data that they would have gotten from the WWE Network deal. And then on the side of, of Peacock, 
right? You get to watch the WWE. This is a huge engaged audience. They're the number six most followed YouTube channel on the face of the planet. Like this is one of those things that brings people in. There was a deal at the beginning of 2020 that we've talked about a lot over the past year of Penn National buying Barstool Sports to kind of get their audience in and get them as customers on their platform. It's not gambling. It's a different universe. This is streaming, but I think it's the same type of thing. Getting this relationship with WWE gives Peacock an access access to customers that have to have this content, right? At least one and a half million folks uh, who are who are subscribing regularly, and there's some seasonality to that as well, right? So that there's higher there's higher subscribers to the WWE Network in, in Q2 when WrestleMania comes out than otherwise. So you can see how this is a big win-win um, for both sides. WWE makes their brand bigger. Peacock makes their their service be something that you have you can tell a story about why you have to have um, if, if you're a particular uh, demographic. So, so certainly a, a huge opportunity um, for the business. How do you think this changes, you know, does this change like the narrative for WWE with more people seeing it on their on their Peacock platform? Does that like make the brand more mainstream than, than maybe it has been in the past? I, I, I think it definitely does. And it still doesn't preclude. And actually a question that I have back for you, because I don't think it really precludes them from doing pay-per-views for, you know, for, for, for certain events, right? If you look at, I think maybe another really good proxy for WWE is the UFC network or UFC. And I would suspect that a lot of the things that have been happening with UFC have informed some of the moves that, 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 uh, that WWE is making now, because that may be not that it's a risk because it's a different sport, but it is definitely, you know, it, it, it definitely has taken some of the air out of the, the, you know, the martial entertainment, if you, you know, if, if, if you will. And, as far as we know, the so the ESPN deal for UFC was 150 million dollars a year worth to them. So I'm I'm interested to know what you think they have that that WWE has in their pocket potentially for taking some of their content and putting it into pay per view. Well, the I can tell you that this deal here. So so what happened with the pay per views, Bill? Is 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 if you bought the network, you got all the pay per views. Mm-hmm. So someone like me who may have purchased WrestleMania once or twice, but is not a, <laughs> is, is not a subscriber right. uh, to the network and has never been, but you know, I've, I've bought WrestleMania a couple times. You know, it's a fun night with the kids. Um, the, you know, I, you get that for free and you're going to continue getting that for free. If you move over to Peacock, except now the Peacock is also 10 bucks a month ad free, or you can get it for $5 a month with ad supported. So, I mean, the average uh, subscriber here is not, they're, they're, they're no worse off. And you also got a couple of, they had the Saudi Arabia special shows, which mm-hmm. somebody else would talk about. But, you know, the the UFC, I, I, you said it's about 150 million. The, the scuttlebutt that's been out there for moving over to Peacock, the scuttlebutt on this deal is that it was about a billion, it's over a billion dollars for five years. So let's call it 200 million a year that that NBC Universal, whatever we're calling them, is paying to WWE for the right to basically take the network over. And then of course you should see some, I think you should see some, uh, uh, some lower uh, costs at WWE because they won't have to be you know, they're not doing this network stuff anymore. Um, but I'm not sure they're going to move in this direction of uh, specialty pay-per-views in addition to what they have, because I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure there'll be that much, like, I, I couldn't tell you the last time I looked for a, 
for a, a cable um, pay-per-view. Like I, I presume they exist, but I, I haven't looked at them in for a while. Um, but I think the, the, the UFC has some really interesting comparisons as you brought yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for one thing, so UFC, of course, got bought in uh, 2016. Um, they got paid for about $4 billion in 2016, which is roughly what the market cap of WWE is today. Um, revenue at the time was around $600 million. The most recent stat that we have is that it's a private entity, so we don't know for sure. But it's as of, as of last year, it purportedly grown about $900 million, which is close to what WWE is doing. Uh, so, you know, there, it's, it's probably the best proxy. And for me, I kind of wonder if also it might be it might be a bit of a might be a bit of a forecast for what the future of WWE could be. Nick, what is your understanding that will happen with their minor league with NXT? Is it being rolled in with the deal or is it something that will remain outside of of the Peacock deal? So I believe that's going to remain outside of the Peacock deal. So 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 this this WWE network so this this deal with Peacock is taking the WWE network and porting that over uh, um, to Peacock. However, their existing deals with SmackDown on Fox or um, or or uh, uh, Raw on the USA network, which is also a you know a, a, a NBC Universal property, um, and also I believe NXT had been on the NBC Sports channel, but then that channel is being is being shut down. So I believe they're moving over to the USA Network. Well, N- um, NXT was on the network, and then about I'm going to say three or four months ago, they moved from the network. They also moved on to USA, which a lot of people kind of said, "Well, why are you doing this? You're kind of reducing the value for the network." But now it looks like it was pretty clear precursor move, right? It's like we're doing this because we're getting Is all that of our right. Yeah. Well, you've you've spotted what we're doing. Yeah. So NBC, aside from Fox, NBC is clearly and they've they've been the partner for WWE, WWF forever. Like I literally last night on YouTube, one of the old 1980s era Saturday night's main event propped up. And I, I threw that on for 10 minutes in a wave of nostalgia, right? It's like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um but they've been partnering here forever. But now it, it's, if you look at how the streaming rights and the cable rights uh, or just the, the non-live event stuff that, that WWE does, at some point, I have to think NBC Universal might question why they're paying annually for these rights fees. And wouldn't it just be a nice little component of our greater, of our greater universe to own the anti-Disney here, as Bill has called it? Or bizarro I, Disney. I'm now complete. I, I am now completely committed to calling WWE bizarro Disney. Yes. Yeah. So I see where you're coming from, uh, Bill, on this idea. Um, excuse me, Jim, on this idea of you know maybe why doesn't NBC uh, just acquire them? You've seen WWE take some of their properties that they'd have had in house and essentially license those uh, to NBC's properties, whether that's licensing NXT, which you mentioned that was kind of an in-house network property and now kind of licensing the whole network out uh, to Peacock. The reason I don't think that's going to happen is because it's to WWE's advantage to be able to play off different players uh, in the market. So for example, the the deal we just got a couple years ago with Fox, the reason that they left, they had previously had SmackDown on uh, the USA Network uh, uh, channel, um, but they got a better deal from Fox. And they had the opportunity to be in front of a larger audience uh, and all those sorts of things. So I think because of the negotiating position that, that WWE is in relative to a lot of these properties that want to have access to their audience, that want to have 50 weeks of live programming, um, all those sorts of things, I think WWE is in a, in a better position not doing it 
not selling and, and kind of bidding the rights every few years in the same way that, that sports leagues are, right? They have this valuable content that everybody wants to have, and they're going to fight over it. Um, and so WWE holds those cards. But, um, but, but we'll see. My only pushback to that would be Vince McMahon is 75 years old. And if you drop a very, very large pile of money in front of him, he, he might opt to take that money rather than letting his kids and son-in-law run the business going forward. Certainly, yeah. We, we should talk about – we'll talk about maybe in a second about uh, kind of the Vince McMahon and the, the future of the company. I did want to talk briefly we, – we've talked about the, the licensing um, part of the business, the, the, the TV shows, and that really is the driver um, of the business today. They, they still offer live events, and live events you know, are, are important. But, but, but really, the, 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 I mean, they just had a record year for revenue um, without having live events. So that, that, that tells you what's driving the business. But we should talk about kind of how they've navigated uh, uh, through the pandemic. At, at its core, this is a, a live events business. Uh, what do you make of the way WWE ha- has tried to maintain operations through this uh, through this disruption? We called it pretty early on uh, that that was one of the, you know, and, and again, I, I always, I, I always, I'm not quite sure whether to call it a sport or entertainment, but I'm going with sport here in a, for a specific reason. It was obviously, it was the, it was the major sport uh, that was most well-suited to shutting, you know, to shutting down live events. Not that live events weren't a huge market for, you know, for WWE and their revenues in live, in live events was down 84% this last year. So uh, almost all of that, I assume was pre, you know, the, for in the yep. sh- short amount of time, pre COVID pre yep. shutdown. Uh, yeah. I think that, that's correct. Isn't it, Jim? Yeah, no, it was, yeah, you're right. 84% on 84%. live event, yeah. but, so but they it were was re- trending down before that too. Yeah. They were really well situated, but they also had just inked a deal for, you know, to, to start producing live events in Saudi Arabia. And this is a huge, huge deal for them. And that is basically been nothing but a cost prior to now because they've had to cancel. I think they had one and they, you know, and it was meant to be, it was meant to be a consistent stream. Uh, and they're looking to take that and reapply it so that they develop a fan base. And that once again, uh, increases, increases the global reach of this, of, of this company. So, the live events, I think they view them at least partially. Obviously, they are revenue creating. I think that they look at those as being, you know, as as as, as the beginning of a lifetime value relationship with uh, with with, with uh, their fans. Yeah, just just uh, and yeah, the the Saudi events were. I I think those were really like. I think that probably hurt them the most last year, Bill. It wasn't it wasn't the touring show coming through downtown Toronto where, well, maybe we can also make it as a as a live event to tape yeah. a raw. Because that's what they do a lot of these things is they they tape them for raw and smackdown. Mm-hmm. But you know, no, the you know, if you go back to 2019, uh, because as you said, they have just hit record revenue, but they've got three kind of revenue buckets that they that they earn in right now. And so last year, as you say, live events drop 84%. Revenue from live events drops 84%. And yet, and, and the and the second thing that they have is consumer products. So you can go buy your go buy your nostalgia Randy Macho Man t-shirt at the live event. Another so you should probably well, another one. Uh, so you should probably <laughs> you should probably tie 
a lot of the consumer products also to the live event. You could you can buy it online, of course, but you know, so revenue there dropped also six percent. The consumer product stuff, the the merch and whatever. But yet total revenue was up last year. And the reason for that is because the media, as we said earlier, this is now a media and content company, the media revenue. So rights from Raw, SmackDown, NXT, the network, that was up 17% last year. And that was enough that it completely, you know, obliterated the you know, 84% drop in live events. And and live events has been going down the, the year before. So pre-pandemic, live events was down 13%. The year before that, 2018, it was down 5%. Like live events have been kind of getting starved for a while because the media growth has compounded, I think somewhere around 17, 18% the last three years. And so, you know, you mentioned earlier, Bill, that these guys were probably one of the best positioned going in one of the best sports air yep. quotes, which you can't see one of the best sports positioned for living the pandemic. Cause they, they, of course, fairly quickly, they started doing stuff just at one of their own, I guess their training facilities. And then they moved, they built something called the Thunderdome, which I went and checked it out. And it's, it's not the Mad Max stuff from the movie in the eighties. It's uh, it's, it's like giant video walls of hundreds, if not thousands of fans who get to, it's a giant zoom call, but like these are four and five foot screens surround. It's, it's kind of cool and kind of terrifying. And I guess they've set that up at Tropicana field. Yeah. So they moved into Tropicana. Yeah. They moved into Tropicana to Tropicana field in, in December. The other cool thing is they've got like drone cameras and all this business going on, which, which thinks you back to I, WWE has been, or Vince McMahon historically has been kind of very innovative and in kind of TV production. The XFL only made it one year, but they did, uh, they did pioneer the sky cam and all those sorts of things. So maybe seeing some of that um, going on right now, he said on the fourth quarter conference call, we are the most flexible, adaptable media company in the world. And I think he has a point. Um, they are incredibly flexible and adaptable. Be able to keep maintain all their events. Be able to deliver the product they need to all their TV partners, even though they didn't do these live events. Be able to maintain all those episodes of SmackDown and Raw throughout the, this pandemic. Um, it has been, you know, incredibly innovative. I don't think the company necessarily um, gets credit for it. Um, so when we talk about the business moving forward as we come out of the pandemic, um, we have this new relationship with Peacock in place. L- new live events should start uh, to start ramping up, at least in the back half of 2021. When you look at this business moving forward the next, you know, say three years, what are you paying attention to for this business? Is this a business you would be excited to invest in? One of us on this call, this one, one of us on this podcast has publicly recommended the business to members of the multiple pool. So I, I'm not saying which one, but it's not Bill. Um, so I, I guess you probably could already gather my opinion on that subject. I, I, I actually, I, they had, I, I honestly don't think that the, uh, the, the true value of the Peacock deal is probably already factored in. Uh, I like the the ever rising rights fees that you've both talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the value of getting WrestleMania in front of the casual fan because they've got the hardcore fan, no pun intended. Um, but they, they to get the value of that in front of the of the the hardcore fan is, I think, really important. That's what Peacock's going to do. Uh, I don't dismiss as easily as you guys do the 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 idea that NBC might drop as much money as Vince McMahon can carry, uh, in and, and he's got a lot of muscles. He's a big guy, yeah. so you know. Um, so I and I actually don't think like they talked about uh, 
they're, they're adjusted, like they're, they're proxy for EBITDA. They have kind of a long running thing, uh, operating income before depreciation and amortization. OIBDA. Um, OIBDA, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, they've been using it forever. So I'm going to give them, I'll, I'll, I'll cut them some slack. Usually I don't like adjusted numbers, but we'll give them some slack here. Um, they, they're calling for record OIBDA this year. And they've flat out said it'd be, you know, 15, 20% higher if you know if our live events had come back and we didn't have the the pandemic stuff at the top end this is maybe 10 times that proxy for ibida this is not this is not an expensive company and when you factor in like what's like the uh, the value of just things like people like put a value on things like the wrestlemania brand uh, obviously you know in in sporting events like look the super bowl is the most valuable one right we can, I think we can probably agree with that. But when I was doing a little bit of background reading on this and found out that WrestleMania is valued at nearly a quarter billion dollars and the World Series is valued at less than half of that, that kind of made my, you know, proverbial spocky and eyebrow rise, right? Like it's, uh, or I guess the rocks. Yeah, that's amazing. That is, given, given the cultural significance of the two, inarguably that, that is a baffling statistic yeah. oh yes i was like really <laughs> because you know the casual fan tunes into the world series yeah but you know so yeah i i'm actually very um look it's i don't think it's going to be a multi-bagger in short order from here but i am happy with the present valuation yeah. So from my from 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 my standpoint, and 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 I have I have not come out and and made a formal recommendation of this company before, but I have spoken very highly of it as being one that uh, you know that, that that I thought had a great future in front of it, including last year as the pandemic was starting for that exact same reason. You know that uh, that every other form of entertainment it seemed was was shutting down. I think that ultimately. Um, I love the boost in brand that they're going to be getting from from moving everything on to to Peacock. I think ultimately the value is going to accrue a lot more to WWE than it will to Peacock. It's a symbiotic relationship, but mm-hmm. I think that the most value is going to be captured by WWE uh, from 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 that standpoint. They have the the this this the saudi deal is going to ramp back up they are there and other deals bill india as well exactly india was the one i was about to i would i was about to mention i was trying to make i wanted to make sure that i got that that i got my statement of fact about about it correct this Mm -hmm. is i don't know if you know that but there's kind of a lot of people in india jim (laughs) one or two it is i mean this is it is it is conceivably a massive, massive market for them, and once again, something where you can you can very easily weave in live events, uh, you know, and pay per view, and you know, and, and all sorts of television subscribership. I mean, it, it, it's it's potentially massive for them. So I think that this is a company that looks fairly, very, fairly valued given today's, you know, given the results over the last year. But I think there is a whole lot of hidden optionality that's just in the process of being unlocked. Yeah. And, and one of those hidden options, Bill, is I'm going to key off of something you said earlier, where Vince McMahon 
won a mountain that no one else wanted. Yeah. But that everyone else had underestimated the value of this. Like, like a lot of people, even in Slido, I think today, you know, people, wait a minute, WWE and, and kind of just dismiss, dismiss us, dismiss the, the idea of owning. There's a media and content company trading <laughs> at, a, at a reasonable value, folks, that has more dedicated fans than the NFL rabid fans right and Ra- people say oh well fans. yeah no the people say oh wrestling's fake you know what isn't fake the fans of wrestling and you know what else isn't fake the money of those fans from wrestling yes and you know what else is fake every television show you're watching on netflix like <laughs> <laughs> like you know i'm not gonna watch wrestling because it's fake okay well i'm just gonna go turn on breaking bad because that's a good documentary <laughs> of the drug trade in, in new mexico um <laughs> sorry but like no but and, and I think being underestimated is almost a superpower for Vince McMahon oh, and the WWE sure. because p- the people's first reaction is to literally blow off the investment thesis. And like you yeah. say, the money's real and the dedication's real. And these guys own that real money and real dedication. Yeah, I, I t- totally, totally agree with you all. I think we're entering, you know, in the world of, of the internet value like these niches whether it's wrestling or ufc or any of these others i think we're, we're seeing that value be realized in a way that folks just haven't realized in the past like these niches are way bigger than anybody ever expected and when you have global distribution you can really monetize those in a significant way you talk about you know dismissing the company i just thought it would be fun just to kind of run wwe through david gardner's rule breaker th- framework because i think it fits right in there and nobody ever thinks about it right top dog and first mover in an important emerging industry globalized wrestling right the the human race has had these types of kind of performances for a long long time but as far as a globalized entertainment media brand built on wrestling they're the top dog and first mover check sustainable competitive advantage gained through business momentum patent protection visionary leadership or inept competitors i think they check three of those off business momentum they're the biggest in the world they're the major leagues the same way why the nba i don't think there's going to be another nba that jumps up and challenges them it's where the talent goes it's where the money is Visionary leadership, Vince McMahon. We already talked about like they, they've pioneered lots of lots of different um, things when it comes to you know cinematography. He rolled up the industry, saw an opportunity there. Lots of other folks didn't. Inept competitors. Every other wrestling business has had horrible horrible management. If you look at the whole history, everything except for uh, you know for, for for UCF, right? Like everything. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, inept competition. He's got all, he's got all those past price appreciation. It's beaten the, beaten the S and P handily the past five and 10 years. Good management. You've got the McMahon family still owns about 40% of the stock, 80% of the voting, voting shares. I think your one kind of maybe not don't have the full check mark there is because, because Vince is 75 is a controversial figure. And, you know, maybe uh, the company changes going down the road, strong consumer appeal. I already said how big the YouTube channel is. WrestleMania is a huge brand overvalued. Maybe it's not. So, you, so the one that the one that you don't compellingly check off out of the rule breaker list is the valuation one, which I think is is, is to the good. If there was a symbol for eh, and by the way, I don't know why I had you know University of Central Florida on my mind, UFC, not UCF. My, <laughs> my 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 mouth moving faster than my brain. I get that a lot, you know. So from I mean, but for me, and when you talked a little bit about the rule breaker, you know, the David Gardner checklist, you would never think at the top of the, the you're like, oh no, they're obviously going to fail the David Gardner checklist. It just doesn't seem like a David Gardnerian like process is going to show WWE in a very great light. 
and I think it really has to do with, you know, one, uh, to be completely committed to my term earlier that they that they own a hill that nobody else wanted. But two, I don't think that you could really like you look at you look at Vince, uh, you, you look at Vince McMahon, and he's not necessarily the nameplate or he's not necessarily the you know, he, the, the, he's not necessarily who you would view as being a top rated highly accomplished effective ceo of a company just wouldn't he plays a bad guy on tv i was gonna say i could probably apply that moniker to a few other ceos i could name well Um, yeah that that's definitely true jim but and i think i think that there are two knocks against uh, against mcmahon one is that i don't know that their relations you know the way they treat their employees is necessarily that great you know they tend to churn and burn uh, well, and, you know, and that's the a whole other discussion. Yes, that's a whole other but the, discussion. Uh, the other thing with, with McMahon, and he's gotten away with it, but I think that there's very few problems that, you know, for Vince McMahon aren't solved with money. Yeah. Let's throw some money at this. See what happens. Yeah. Although you do, you did, you do allow me to, to say one of my all-time favorite investing little weird things is that in uh, WWE, of course, or WWF at the time, I guess, uh, it, it went public in October of 99. And it was the day after another little company went public the day you know, it went public the day before. That was Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia. <laughs> and and if you were taking bets, if you were taking bets, you you've heard me say this. If you were taking bets on which CEO was going to serve jail time, ain't no one taking Martha. No. Right. No. I mean, I think, I think we'd all would have been. Oh, no, yeah, those are some. Gonna... Those are those are some pretty long odds. In fact, that bet may have been the best investment outcome of all. If that yeah. was. Yeah, I know you're no kidding, right? But yeah, Incredible. so that's I don't even think, Jim, that you would have necessarily said. I mean, at the time when Martha Stewart Omnimedia came public, it was a machine with momentum. I mm-hmm. I don't think you would have taken the bet that WWE would have outperformed it. One hundred percent not. You're right. Yeah. And yet. And yet WWE has done that over the past 20 years. Maybe it'll keep doing it over the next uh, decade to come. Thank you all for coming on uh, the podcast to chat with me about it. If you can't tell, this is a company I love talking about. It's a, it's a fun one. So, uh, so thank you all for indulging me. Thanks, Nick. This is super fun. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Bill Mann and Jim Gillies, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on.